0: Hi folks, Dave here. Before we start the show, I wanted to let you know that we've teamed up with Audible.co.uk and we're offering you a free audiobook. All you have to do is register for a one-month free trial to claim your free audiobook, of which there are over 250,000 to choose from. It's a 30-day free trial. It means you can choose a free audiobook which is yours to keep whether or not you decide to cancel that trial period or not. Free piece of advice? If you're going to try an audiobook, go for Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods. Anyway, sign up at www.audible.co.uk forward slash Tech Talks. Back to the show. Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast every Monday and Thursday that is for the love of tech with David Savage and Jack Pierce. except Jack's still not back, so it's actually Josie Rowlings again.
1: Still here. (laughs)
0: Coming up on today's show, we are talking to Jonathan from Breathe HR, the CEO and co-founder. And then we are having a chat about London Mobility Marketplace Split and their Chinese travel agency super deal. That's an article from UKTN by Sean Bradley. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey Josie.
1: Hello, Dave.
0: You didn't expect to be here.
1: No, I didn't. I was very surprised when you approached me to discuss uh, this other topic.
0: Jack, I hope Jack's getting very jealous about, you know, just not being on the show.
1: Well, he's actually back in the UK now, so I hope he's listening and getting very annoyed about (laughs) the fact that he can't give his opinion.
0: (laughs) His opinion is no doubt... uh, yeah, Well, a position at one end of the spectrum, or it usually is. We've have got someone far more considered on the show at the minute.
1: Yeah, slightly more balanced, I think, is the way we put it. And
0: given we had more <laughs> listeners than ever last month, he should possibly be worried.
1: Yeah, I'm going to replace him soon, don't
0: no worry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, coming up on today's show, we have got Jonathan from Breathe HR. He's the CEO and co founder, as I mentioned in the intro. Um, it's a conversation all about, well, how you build a business, but also culture. So, do uh, stay tuned for that. And afterwards, as I mentioned, we're diving into UKTN. So plenty to stay tuned for. So today we're joined by Jonathan. You are the CEO of Breathe HR.
2: Hi. Hi. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Yeah. It's nice to be in sunny Horsham. Oh, well, yeah, it's been been a bit wet recently, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a good place. It's funny, isn't
0: it? August is always a bit of a duff month, especially after the start of the summer, but... Um... Never mind. There we go. We should be used to it, but somehow <laughs> or other we're not. Um, now, how long have you been running uh, Breathe HR? Because it's it's not an overnight um, kind of business. This, this is something that's kind of taken some time to build since back in what 2012, about seven years back?
2: Yeah, that's right. We launched April 2012. Um, that was my business partner and I, Gareth. We'd been in the HR software space for quite a long time, mm-hmm. um, but implementing big systems, so companies with... 500 to 1,000 employees, and we were looking for a way to move the business forward. The recession was, was sort of hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, big businesses weren't changing their HR systems, so we decided that we'd, we'd go full SaaS and try and provide something that the the smaller business, that the SME end of the marketplace really needed.
0: So just to jump in, Breathe, Breathe HR is a small to medium-sized business HR admin system.
2: Absolutely. That someone Spot can on.
0: log into, book holidays, store all of their employee details, etc., but very much at that SME space
2: rather than the, the, the space that you were working in. Yeah, very definitely. So it is, it's It's all of the admin around having employees, but it's done very much with a focus on the smaller business. So we don't touch on a lot of the things that a big business might might get into. We don't talk about succession planning. We don't have the the jargon. Uh, in fact, we say we're we're a simple product, and we're very proud of it. We're very proud of our simplicity. And really, the aim that we have is that we should take away the HR admin, the the managing employee admin that that business leaders have when they're mm-hmm. in small businesses. And there've been enough surveys around that. Um, anywhere between 19 and, and I think nearly 30% of a, a leader's time has been been forecast to be taken up with with employee-related admin. And that could be booking holidays. It could be tracking down contracts of employment. It could be all sorts of different things. But there's just so much admin in our lives. And, and hey, as business leaders, we're, we're pretty rubbish at admin usually. So mm. anything that can help remove that and get us actually out into the business doing what What we should be doing, what we we like doing has got to be a good thing.
0: And you mentioned there that it is the business leader's time that's getting eaten up with with this admin, which suggests that a lot of the people that you're dealing with don't have an HR or a people person when you're talking to them initially. Maybe they do by the end, but certainly when you start engaging with them.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. So our our target audience, our broad audience is 10 employee to 250 employee. And clearly at the 250 employee end, if they haven't got full-time HR help, then they certainly need help. Yeah. The, the sweet spot for us is 20 to 50 at the 20 employee level. It's the, the leader, the founder, the CEO, the finance director who's doing what little HR there is. And so often it's they're doing enough to police the system. Maybe they've got the, the contracts of employment and the handbook and the policies and procedures, things like that, the GDPR, the record keeping. Um, and, and they're doing that themselves. Um, as they get a little bit bigger, maybe they pass some of that work on to, to a PA or to an office manager, um, but it's still very much done in-house. And then as they get a little bit bigger, often they'll need some external help, so they might bring in an HR consultant. Mm. We work with over 300 HR consultancies across the UK. They offer Breathe to their client base, but they're the experts in in bringing a certain amount of organization into HR in, in a small business. Um, but even then, you know, I tend to think of HR as being the the policing role within a company. And for me, managing employees is all about being one to one with the employees, having conversations with the employees, uh, and creating the kind of culture around an organisation that that can make it fly, that can make it happen, and, and make it a great place to be. If we come, if we come back to culture a little bit into
0: the conversation, if we if we roll back a little bit to Understanding and spotting an opportunity as, as, as an entrepreneur yourself, setting up that business with a business partner, as you said, you worked in the space. There are a lot of organisations that do supply HR systems and maybe they're aimed at the enterprise, but how did you actually test, Oh, hang on a minute, there is, there is an opportunity here for us because nonetheless, when you're entering a market that's reasonably mature like HR systems, that must have been quite daunting to kind of go, well, oh, hang on a minute, we can, we can offer something, there is a niche for us.
2: Yeah, that was, that was an interesting time because my instinct as an entrepreneur was just, oh, dive in, it'll be fine, we'll work it out. But actually what we did was we licensed some HR software that was targeted at sort of mid-tier companies. We licensed that in a way that meant we could offer it on a per-employee basis. Mm-hmm. So we could package it in a way that was, was very cost-effective for a small business. We got that out in double-quick time. I think it took us two weeks to set that up Mm. Um, and we started selling it to companies. We started putting the message out there. We started learning the trade as a SaaS business. We sold that to maybe 100, 120-odd companies, all largely within the target space. We got a bit carried away in that we started to bespoke it because that's where we'd come from. We realized that that wasn't going to scale. Um, so very quickly, by running a proof of concept, we we justified to ourselves that there was a market. And actually, as part of that process, um, I wrote a two-page business plan, which was largely to just justify us. We didn't need to raise money. Um, we wouldn't have been able to raise money at that time. So I wrote a business plan, and, and I found it about a month ago. And it's you know, it's remarkably good at describing where we are now. Um, but it was all about a simple product for SMEs with no sales team to sell it. It needed to sell itself with no consultants, no training. Mm-hmm. So no complexity around it. It had to be pure SaaS. So up on the web, free trial, make the free trial a success, get the customer on board, get them started, get them using it, keep them happy. Um, and that's really the model that we've been refining since. Now, you
0: and your business partner, Gareth, who's the CTO, you, you basically put a lot on the line. You wound down your existing business and you plowed a lot of money into this idea. And you obviously had that passion, that drive that this could work. Yeah. But then you went and you outsourced the development to a company in Brighton. Was that quite challenging for you guys mentally kind of I suppose to go here's this idea here's everything riding on it and now we're going to put it in the hands of a company that's to all intents and purposes not part of our business they're not joining us and building it together we're paying them to build something that that must be nerve-wracking
2: yeah it was it was I mean it was nerve-wracking it was exciting it was exhilarating is probably the best way of doing it we looked at taking development offshore Uh, I tend to say to people, we looked at going offshore, but didn't quite make it, we Mm -hmm. ended up in Brighton. Um, The dev firm that we found really great bunch of guys, company called Datanauts, um, they really bought into what we were trying to do. Gareth camped out actually in their offices for a good few months as it was being developed. Um, And what it meant was we got it developed in double quick time. So we laid down the first line of code, I think it was probably in October 2011. Mm. We launched it on the 1st of April 2012, signed our first customer within an hour of launching, uh, which, was, you know, which was exactly what we wanted to do. Weren't convinced it was gonna happen. But all the time that Gareth was doing the dev, I was holed up in a coffee shop near where I lived, designing the website, building up the pre-list, working at how we were gonna sell it. How important do you think it was that Gareth was in that office with them? Oh, essential. Yeah, yeah we'd, we'd, we'd bitten the whole minimal viable product bug straight away. Uh, we knew we wanted to do the least that we could to make it viable. And by having Gareth in there, he was able to keep reining it back in. So I think it would have been all too easy if we developed it over Skype or remote. I think it would have been too easy for extra things to creep in. Mm. And towards the, the date, we'd put out a spec as to what we wanted. Towards the date of launch, um, my, my favorite line was, we'll cut it. We're just not going to include it. So the launch date was not going to slip. I would rather slip functionality than slip the launch date. Right. And we very much kept with that ever since. What we decided was that any functionality that slipped the launch date would just come in later releases. Mm. And we've pretty much done a release every two weeks since. Um, so the functionality just keeps coming in. Um, so yeah, it was. I think it was essential to to get it as we wanted it and to get it out on time.
0: Now, when I talk to people, and to be fair, my own perception is that culture is something difficult to get your head around because it can be quite intangible and it's uh, it's something that shifts. You know, a lot of people yeah. come into a business and think that they've got their culture, but they don't consider the fact that their culture changes probably with that first twenty to thirty hires and then changes again as you grow. So what? You know, you, you're dealing with, what, 5,000 customers? Yeah. What examples of culture have you seen in that SME space where you go, oh, these guys have really nailed it.
2: That's impressive. They, they've got their head around what culture is. Yeah, we, We've done some, um, some really interesting research over the last few months. We, we started off by putting out a report which we called the Culture Economy. Mm-hmm. And what we actually did, we paid researchers to go out and look at what makes great culture to start to analyze some of the businesses that we, we know of that, that get it right, fundamentally, um, and to see whether it could be packaged, whether there was a language around it, and to try and understand what was stopping a lot more small businesses with, with their culture. And the overriding factor that I found that was missing was a language. I've done a lot of, um, a lot of meetings, and in fact, I'm starting a podcast looking at company culture. Mm-hmm. We launched in association with Real Business Magazine, we launched the culture leaders list. And we went out to UK small businesses and said, tell us about your culture. If you're proud of it, shout about it. We've elected 25, which we ranked and launched as a, as a culture leaders list in, in 2018. And interviewing and talking to some of the, the founders and the leaders of those businesses is inspirational. Mm. Uh, I, I talked with... Um, Well, I've done, I've done interviews with maybe half a dozen of them in the last couple of weeks and in one respect what they're doing is amazing, it's inspirational, on another respect it's actually very simple. Mm. It all starts with conversations. The number one word that came up all the time was communication and it wasn't airy-fairy, what does communication mean? It was I sit there and I talk to my employees. We meet every Monday morning over cake, and we always talk about the business. over cake, all over the time, cake, all, the, oh, time. Time. all <laughs> the time. Yeah, one or two said, "Oh, we occasionally have fruit." Um, <laughs> their, their culture doesn't know. sound as good. Thanks. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, yes. Okay. So it's it's in my book, it's all about it's all about communication, and what mm. we're trying to do is to put some language around it. What does culture mean? What does it look like? How do you create a culture?
0: And I suppose if you don't have as much onerous admin, then you have more time to talk. There you go, exactly.
2: So that's that's it. That's the the aim.
0: Out of interest, there are a lot of tools out there that say that they can improve culture via technology. What store do you set in that? You you work with a lot of organisations. Um, is it quite simple that those are just improving communication, or how how do you kind of view people when they're trying to sell culture through a solution?
2: Yeah, I tend to take a pretty extreme view of that, in that technology cannot solve a bad company culture if it's used right Mm -hmm. if it is used to make that conversation happen you know I'll just keep on about it's conversation it's it's the leader sitting down with the people in the business face to face I have meetings every Monday and Tuesday uh, with my direct reports and we sit around a table over a coffee and we talk about what needs to be talked about Mm. if there's nothing to talk about well hey you know maybe that's good but it's getting those conversations going it's as a leader, it's trying to remove the roadblocks so that our people can actually get on with doing the job.
0: Now, one thing that you mentioned, and this, sorry, this is just the last question, but one thing that you mentioned before we hit record was that you celebrate when a client grows out of your sweet spot and it passes maybe 250 staff or around about that mark, yeah. and they no longer need Breathe HR because they've outgrown its capability or its platform is it tempting to try and build in services to compete with big bigger products or, or does or, you know do you have to have a certain amount of discipline to say no this is our space and we are
2: going to stick in this space it, it's always tempting I'm an entrepreneur you know, it's <laughs> always tempting to go out there and find the business but it's I've gone, since the very early days, I've gone so public on, we are up to 250 employees. Yeah. We know we've got functionality up to that size. Over that size, I think companies should be spending more than, quite frankly, we're charging them. Mm-hmm. They should be looking for much more tailored functionality. So I always applaud when somebody's grown out of us, then I think we've we played our small part in their growth. But it's always tempting. I've always got to say no, though.
0: Yeah had to be a different brand entirely, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Look, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's, it's been a real pleasure to come down and talk to
2: you. And uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how your own podcast goes. Uh, well, thank you. And it's been a pleasure welcoming you to Breathe HQ. Thanks. All right, Josie, what stood out from that?
1: So, I absolutely love listening to uh, Jonathan's perception on culture right? and culture within different businesses, I guess specifically the kind of SME growing businesses mm-hmm. um, that we see. Um, I think it was really interesting some of the points he had to make around that.
0: I think the overriding impression I got was that culture e- equals cake.
1: Yeah, lots of cake can't complain
2: about
0: that sounds like a wonderful kind of idea um no i, I agree though i mean you know they, on a serious note they talk about the fact that they've got the culture economy they've done a report research uh, queried whether or not culture can be packaged and better understood i mean the fact that they've even started a podcast to talk specifically about culture tells you that a lot of people think this is a really complex problem but all of their research says it's really simple
1: Yeah, no, and I think what was really interesting was when he said around communication, Yeah, um, because it's definitely something that's overlooked. You know, it's such a basic thing that you can implement within a business, um, and really, you know, people try and overcomplicate it and say, oh, we can implement this, we can implement that, but really, at that base level, it just comes back to communication.
0: Do you think there's an element... I mean, we've spoken about complexity bias on this podcast before, where it's easy to hide behind the idea that something's hard when actually when you when you break it down and say this is a simple problem maybe that gives people less hiding room for not being able to implement better culture or not being able to understand that culture is changing and how that affects your business.
1: No, I definitely think that's the case. And I definitely think the problem that larger organisations have is that culture is often passed off to HR mm. or, or something along those lines. You know, the leaders might say, Oh, we want to improve our culture. Well, that's not our job. That that's someone else's job. So we'll give it to them. Yeah. You know, but it has to be the whole business moving in one direction. Yeah. Um, and I think that's definitely what sort of Jonathan points out. It needs to be from the start, and it needs to be involved everyone at every level.
0: With that in mind, if cake equals culture, uh, and you've got to get everyone on board, is it carrot cake, coffee cake, red velvet cake, chocolate cake?
1: I can't believe you said carrot cake there. That's just not even an option.
0: I love carrot cake.
1: (laughs) It has to be red velvet or chocolate. You've got to get everyone involved here.
0: Oh, I love coffee cake. (laughs) Coffee and walnut cake. I'd be on board with that culture. Um, I also think it's really brave of them to have set their stall at a particular part of the market And he talks about the fact that they're proud of their simplicity, you know, um, that it's a SaaS business model. It had to be SaaS. When they started to add bespoke elements, it wouldn't scale. Mm. And they have customers who have outgrown them, and that's fine. That's a really brave position to take.
1: No, I think definitely, definitely quite brave. Um, I think, you know, it's one of those things, though, where if it works, you know, stick to what you know, stick to what you do well. Um, I think if they started to change what they do and and change, you know, the way they look at things and who they sort of work with, that might be where things get overcomplicated, Mm -hmm. you know, like he's saying, and and that is where they could potentially struggle. Um, And I think you have to strip things back sometimes and look at really what you are good at. Um, And I think it's brave, but I think it's clever as well.
0: Yeah, and I suppose, you know, to that point, there's so many businesses entering the market these days that that gives them a business pipeline rather than necessarily having to chase bigger fish where they would face... Different kinds of competition definitely, with more resources,
1: definitely. And I mean, their track record, you know, stands for itself. If you can do that well within small businesses, then those clients are going to approach you. And I think, you know, they have proved they can do it well. So.
0: And I think that's a really interesting um, lesson for anyone who's who's building a business. That the fact that he talks about the platform needing to sell itself, and again, having no complexity to it. They didn't have mm. the sales staff. They didn't have the marketing staff. Uh, people needed to be able to download a trial for free.
1: Definitely. I even went on their website. You can still do that.
0: Yeah? <laughs> yeah, you can still
1: download a free trial. <laughs> there we go.
0: Why don't we do that? Right. Um, look, Jonathan, it was fantastic to have you on the show Thank you very much for sharing some insight into your business and culture more widely across the industry. Uh, He mentioned there is a podcast. We will include a link to it in the show notes because why the hell wouldn't we want you to listen to some more content whilst you've got the time? Um, But yeah, thanks for that. Stay tuned though. We're about to have an advert break and after that advert break, we're going to be talking about Sean Bradley's article in UKTN. Why don't you
1: like coffee cake or carrot cake? Carrot cake is just not okay. Oh, they great. quite often put nuts in it as well, so I can't have
0: that one. Oh yeah, fair enough. Jack, I know it's a bit of a stretch, but just imagine you're running a business, <laughs> okay? And you need to grow that business, and talent, as you know, costs a lot, mm. not to mention it being hard to find. Mm. If you could hire a software engineer for your business, that probably has a terrible product of your track record is anything to go by, <laughs> But it's trained specifically to your business needs for just around twenty-four thousand. Would you, Dave? That sounds like a bargain, and I think I would. I'm slightly insulted that you can't picture me running a business. Oh <laughs> no, such a stretch! Isn't it? <laughs> anyway, well, you'd be in luck because there is a new program that can deliver highly skilled developers, uh, way under the usual cost quota by recruiters, mm. so why don't you prove me that you do have a little bit of business savvy acumen there, and get in touch. Do you know what? I'm going to, if not just to prove you wrong, but who do I drop a line to, Dave? How do I get in touch? Easy, you simply email future-skills-program at harveynash.com. future-skills-program at harveynash.com. Can they find me a new podcast co-host to replace you? Shut up. Please. Welcome back to Tech Talks. It is time for the news. Today's news is taken from UKTN. It is written by Sean Bradley, uh, published on Thursday of last week. The headline London Mobility Marketplace Split uh, Partners with Chinese Travel Agency. Did you have a chance to read this?
1: I did. I had a good read. What do you think? I think it sounds interesting. Um, I, I hadn't even heard of the original business, if Split. I'm honest. Yeah, I'd no, never I heard haven't. of them. No. Um, and it made me really interested in actually looking up the platform itself and the sort of what, what it's used for currently um, but I did think it was interesting that it had been picked up by a Chinese travel agent
0: mm. um, I, I think it's interesting on a couple of fronts um, first of all this idea that you have marketplaces of technology companies coming together and, and leveraging off, off each other is a really interesting one. Because you often think of partnerships and you think of uh, an SME or a smaller business partnering with a larger business and, and those two kind of, you know, that innovation trade off that you get and scale. Mm-hmm. But here, I mean, on the podcast before, we've had Pension B and Starling Bank and they work in an ecosystem where Starling Bank want to be the best current account in the world and Pension B want to be a disruptor in the pension space and they leverage off each other's networks. And here, This isn't even, it's not to say that that's not a brilliant idea, but it is. But travel, global travel, is something that happens all the time. And so if you have a Chinese travel agency that can plug their users directly into something in the UK, you can see how that's great for their users. But for Split, all of a sudden, they've got access to this huge community of users that otherwise would never know who they are.
1: Mm, Especially, I mean, even in that article, you said 131 million Outbound tourists from China in 2017. That's nuts. That's mad. You know, it's the it's the biggest market for this kind of thing, um, and I think the fact they can now come to the UK and they're going to have the opportunity to use one app to do all of their travel. Yeah. You know, it, it's amazing for this business.
0: I, I, out of interest, from a user point of view, I get quite tied to particular apps. Like, I do like Uber for for taxis. I use Citymapper. Um, I've, I've got Skyscanner. I, for travel, I will jump in and out of certain trusted apps. I'm not sure how I'd feel about one app as a link to a lot of other things. Because like, they're only going to give me access to the apps that they've chosen to partner with. Mm. Would you switch to something like this? I suppose I, traveling honestly, maybe. I think
1: it really depends what country I was going to and how yeah. well I know that country. Because if I was going somewhere like Spain or Greece or somewhere that I've I've frequently travelled, you know, I know what to do. I I know what apps to use. I know what what is common. But if I was going somewhere like China, you know... Are, are those apps even applicable anymore? Like, can you use those things to even get around that country? I, I don't know. So I think having one platform for that, you know, I, I would find that really useful. But
0: you can trust.
1: Exactly. You know, it, it's ironic because if, if someone sent me that and said, use this to get around London, I'd go, well, no, because I've got CityMapper and I've got yeah. Uber and I don't need that. But I know London.
0: And I think, I think there's an interesting point here. To, to, they talk about the fact that when they visit a new country, the app boasts interactive chat with auto-translation. Yeah. I suppose if you're Chinese... Chinese and English or, you know, Chinese and English, fair enough. But if you're going to Germany or you're going to Spain or Italy, I can't imagine many Chinese tourists necessarily speak four or five languages. Mm. I mean, I, I barely speak one, so it'd be <laughs> churlish of me to, to <laughs> have a go Want at anyone. Them,
1: yeah, they should speak all the languages.
0: <laughs> yeah. But um, that must be a huge part of the sell for them.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it, it's... It's feeling comfortable where you're traveling, isn't it? And I yeah. think the language barrier is definitely huge. And I know they mentioned around currency as well. Um, this even translates your currency for you. So if you're using like Uber, for example, the reason that's so great is because you don't have to have cash. You know, you don't have to get in a black cab and give them 40 quid when you get out. Yeah. It just goes out your bank account. You know, and if that's giving you the best rates and you're being able to travel, then that's great. You yeah. know? you don't even have to worry about money either.
0: I suppose my only question mark about this would be, are they sharing user data? Mm. and if they are, how transparent are they about that? If you're signing into an ecosystem and then all of a sudden you've got access to a number of different apps, is there an element of, a Chinese, well, pardon the pun I guess, but a Chinese wall between those apps and, and the data and the flow and how, and how your personal details are being used between organisations and partnership?
1: Yeah, and I also think it could be interesting for other businesses to buy that information in terms of where people are travelling, yep. where are the most common places people are going, um, you know, tourist routes, mm-hmm. things along those lines. So like you say, it's where that data is actually being sold to or maybe given to people as well.
0: Given that that's such a big currency and for uh, trip in, in, in China, that must be a real big bargaining chip for them.
1: Mm, definitely. And I think, you know, you, even then, when you're talking about the fact that one of these businesses is in the UK and the other one's in China, it's what, what are the data laws? How are they going to sort of breach that? And, and how are both companies going to be happy about that?
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Any further thoughts?
1: No, I think it's covered everything from my side of things. I just think uh, we need to get one set up for, for China and everywhere else, and I might travel a bit more.
0: Ah, there we go. <laughs> Bought into sea trip, Right. Well, look, that brings us to the end of today's show. Thanks for tuning in. We are back on Thursday. I'll be on it. I'm not entirely sure who else will be joining me at the
1: minute. <laughs> I'm replacing Jack now, so it's <laughs> fine. I'll be back.
0: <laughs> but, um, yeah, we will talk to you soon.